0: This Government Matters podcast is sponsored by Hughes Network Systems, delivering innovation for civilian and military connectivity. It is time to expect more from your network. From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is
1: Government Matters with Francis Rose thanks for watching government matters the only show covering the latest news trends and topics that matter to the business of government i'm your host francis rose the navy's new shipbuilding plan moves it away from a hard target of 355 ships the new update has a minimum target of 321 man ships defense news reports the plan includes a ceiling of just over 370 man ships the department of health and human services will increase the number and diversity of its health i.t workforce the Biden administration will put $80 million from the stimulus into the new four-year initiative. NextGov reports the plan will focus on improving data collection, specifically around race and ethnicity. The Office of the National Cyber Director has its first leader. The Senate confirmed Chris Inglis to be the administration's top cyber advisor. Politico reports Congress still hasn't funded the office, even though it authorized Inglis to hire 75 employees. A new Senate bill would require reports of cyber hacks within 24 hours. The bill is the latest attempt to face the growing issue of cyber breaches across government. Tony Scott is CEO of the Tony Scott Group. He's former federal chief information officer. Tony, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. There's a lot here, and a lot of this seems to be driven by the events in particular of the last two months. What do you see in this bill that's useful for agencies across government, Tony?
2: I I see a couple of things that I think are important. One is uh, mandatory uh, reporting. And, you know, there were just a lot of questions about this um, over the years, um, both with respect to whether you should or were obligated to report or not, and then secondly, the timing of it. And I I think the timing is a, a really important question. One of the problems that I think everyone has had, whether it's government or the private sector, is the fact that um, it's usually a very long time between the when the actual breach occurred and when it's discovered by the institution, the agency or the private sector uh, uh, enterprise. And there's often a period when a breach is first detected That's there's a question about what is it? How big is it? How broad is it? Uh, and so there's usually an investigation period that goes on. Um, and often that what that really means in practical terms is even if an agency was going to report uh, something, they wait a long time until they know exactly what it was to report it. and I, And I think as a result of this, there'll be At least the possibility of much earlier reporting than was taking place before, uh, but also uh, helping agencies get more help um, when they suspect that something has gone wrong.
1: If agencies harden their systems, though, the way that they are supposed to have been since before you were the CIO, at some point could we reach uh, a situation where there are so many reports because, you, as you say— Folks are reporting within 24 hours rather than waiting to see if it was a serious breach or not. Is there a point where we could have so many reports that the effect is diluted somehow?
2: Well, I think I think there's that possibility, Francis. But frankly, I think the real danger is the opposite, which is what we've been experiencing, which is too little is known to effectively do anything about it, um, uh, you know, in a timely manner, and so. I think this moves the needle the other direction. Um, and, you know, if that becomes a problem, I think that then there's other, you know, remedies that one could uh, could think of um, in terms of severity or, you know, other kinds of things that would lighten the load. But uh, I see this as a positive move, frankly.
1: So 24 hours is doable then if this is a positive move?
2: I think so. I think so. Um, again, I think there's going to... And and you'll see this in the implementation details, I think, but, you know, there's got to be some more definition about what constitutes a breach, uh, the seriousness of it. um, You know, uh, also, there's issues of who knows about it within the agency. So another thing that I've seen in my career is um, it might be known at fairly low levels in the organization. But there's time often involved as those things get escalated up through the hierarchy. And so, uh, you know, when does the clock start is one of the interesting questions um, that I think will have to be resolved in the implementation guidelines.
1: Um, since you just uh, answered the next question I was going to ask, I'll ask you this one. Um, this Politico report says the draft bill would give CISA 180 days to establish a process for collecting hacking uh, hack reports. How do you think that 180-day process should go, Tony? What should that look like?
2: Well, I ho- what I hope will happen is that, you know, a draft set of guidelines will get uh, published and then a period of comment. So uh, one of the things that I learned is you never know how people are going to interpret uh, words on a piece of paper. And uh, when you publish draft uh, guidelines, you can get some I think really important feedback um, that will help you uh, when you actually issue the final uh, document, whatever, whatever it is.
1: Another provision in this legislation, Tony, is that CISA would have to report Politico rights to Congress annually on the number of reports received through the new program. Is there a danger that we get to creating more reports and, and more paper and focus not as much as we should in the actual security?
2: Well, I think the reports to Congress are important because we need to send signals to our legislators and and, and people at the top of agencies, frankly, uh, in terms of the nature of these things and the severity of them. And I hope that's done in the spirit of creating more uh, awareness and uh, more focus on this particular problem. You know, when I was there as federal CIO, uh, I could count on two hands really, the, the number of people in Congress who were you know really um, uh, I'd say uh, aware of and uh, and could speak intelligently about uh, cyber issues. Uh, it just wasn't that many. Thankfully there's a lot more now, but still not enough. These, uh, these reports could help educate. An important um, uh, group of folks
1: tony scott thanks very much as always great to have you back my pleasure all right coming next uh deadline every agency faces straight ahead on government matters less than a month to go to prepare return to office plans you're watching wjla 24 7 news Welcome back. Federal agencies have under a month to submit their final return to office plans for remote employees. The July 19th deadline applies to workforce safety plans too. Tony Reardon is the president of the National Treasury Employees Union. Uh, Tony, welcome. It's good to have you back on the program. What are you hearing from the people that you represent about what they're thinking about going back to the office? Well, first of
0: all, Francis, thank you very much for having me. It's uh, always an honor to be on your show with you. You know. What, what I'm hearing is that employees are really understandably anxious about uh, reentry into the workplace. Um, you know, they're, they're asking questions like, you know, will my child um, uh, be in school? And will, will um, we have aftercare available by the time that I have to go back to work? They want to know things like, how do I know if the person sitting next to me is vaccinated? Do I have to wear a mask? Um, If I'm vaccinated, can I keep teleworking? All those kinds of questions and, of course, many others
1: um, really have them uh, quite anxious about uh, uh, reporting back to the office. What would you like to see agencies include in those plans that I referred to to try to answer as many of the concerns as possible that that the people you represent and other federal employees have?
0: Well, I think um, there are um, a, a number of things that certainly we are talking to uh, some of the agencies where we represent employees, you know, about things uh, related to health and safety. For example, uh, mask policy, as it relates to vaccinated and unvaccinated employees, that that needs to get clear um, in agencies how they're going to be dealing with that. Um, You know employees want continued time to uh, get vaccinated and to recover from the adverse effects of the uh, of getting the vaccine um there is the ongoing um uh, promotion of the need to get vaccinated we want agencies to continue to talk to their employees um, and encourage them to get vaccinated and i think it's it's always um, useful to provide incentives so that uh, that happens. And I think that helps our communities and you know, our, our nation uh, um, at large. Health screenings uh, for employees and contractors and visitors. Um, some other things that we're interested in, for example, and I won't go into details yet about those, but are uh, telework, work schedules, travel policies for employees, leave. You know, caregivers still don't have really an alternative um, in that regard and also how high risk uh, employees are treated.
1: Would it be a good idea or a bad idea for the uh, agencies to ask, at least ask their employees whether they've been vaccinated or not? There's there's uh, the policy right now is that they can't uh, can't inquire about that. Is that something that maybe should change, Tony, to give the other employees in an organization, some uh, confidence about the safety of the workplace. You know, um, Francis. From my perspective, I, I don't think
0: it's a problem to ask, but um, the issue really has to be, for, also from my perspective, it's it's got to be um, voluntarily provided um, by the employee. Um, I do not support um, requiring employees to, um, uh, you know, make that information. Uh, known, I think you know quite candidly, um, folks that um, get the vaccine. Um, well, and I'll speak for myself. I mean, you know, I got the vaccine a while back, and I'm I'm uh, quite open about that. And I think uh, many others would uh, would be as well.
1: What are the conversations like in the organizations where you represent employees, Tony? What, what not specific a specific agency, but broadly? How are those conversations going? Are you encouraged by the, the discussions?
0: Well, you know, it's, there's really kind of, uh, Francis, a, a wide array, um, as there, <laughs> there typically are. You know, at NTEU, we represent employees in 34 agencies. So we always get, you know, kind of a, a, a broad list of those uh, agencies that, in this case, for example, are uh, very interested in talking to us and, and um, have already engaged us. We went to every single agency where we represent employees early on and made sure that they understood that we wanted to have um, discussions with them about these plans that are due on July 19th that you mentioned. And, um, you know, not surprisingly, as I said, there are some agencies that are uh, very interested um, uh, in talking to us and there are other agencies that we've not heard a lot from and and not gotten a a lot back from Um, on these issues and really look, from my perspective, it is absolutely in every agency's best interest to have conversations with us. You know, like I said, we represent so many employees in so many various agencies. We've got a lot of experience on all these issues. And so to be able to have conversations with them um, I think is really helpful to the agency so that they can figure out exactly how they want to put this plan together so that um, the outcomes are the best for employees and the agency.
1: We have less than a minute left, Tony. It's not just helpful, in your words, to the agencies. It's required. OMB has said that these agencies should bargain with you and, and other unions. Do you have any recourse if, you, if these plans, if you get down to crunch time July 19th and you still don't have much traction? well
0: yeah i mean there's always there's always uh recourse and and certainly we will um make sure that we're working hard with opm we we have all kinds of contacts obviously at opm in omb um, on the hill if we need to and candidly um you know there's always the tool of going to directly to the administration as well as um to the media hopefully that won't be the case though we are all i think trying to work in the same um general direction and you know, ultimately the health and safety of employees and the ability for employees um, to be able to be in the workplace or doing the work uh, via telework from home is critically important so that um, they're able to do the work of the American people. So anything we can do in creating these plans that enables employees to continue to be able to do the work of the American people and for the American people to get Um, the services that they require from um, their federal government, I think, is uh, a win-win for everybody.
1: Tony Reardon, thank you very much, as always. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Francis. Up next, applying chemistry to acquisition. Straight ahead on Government Matters, tracking new tools and innovations in federal procurement. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of the show, it's on govmatters.tv. We'll be right back. The acquisition community has a new tool to follow changes and innovation in procurement. The periodic table of acquisition innovations tracks acquisition innovations underway at the Office of Federal Procurement Policy and the Federal Acquisition Institute. Tim Cook is CEO and owner of ASI Government. He's one of the leaders of the ACT-IAC effort. Tim, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. I never even made it to chemistry in high school because I barely passed biology Explain to me how a periodic table relates to
3: acquisition, why you use that framework. Sure. Thank you, Francis. And it's truly a privilege and an honor to be with you this morning, representing ACT-IAC and Institute for Innovation, which is a public-private partnership, a bunch of uh, volunteers from industry and government um, who come together to build this periodic table, which is a way of organizing the the many, many um hundreds, if not thousands, of different initiatives underway in government to solve the hard problems of acquisition, really for the purpose of taking time out of the process. Um, the, the world's moving faster and faster every day. Uh, and frankly, missions can't go faster than acquisition. So you may have heard this, the, the phrase speed at, speed at the need of mission. That's really what we're trying to promote here and spread these innovations through the table as you spread these innovations around
1: where how are you going about collecting them all who is contributing to this and how
3: are they contributing to it tim great so it's it's both industry and government uh and it really begins with ofpp the office of federal procurement policy uh, that has really taken the lead here Uh, they are our sponsor for the project. Um, and Leslie Field and Matthew Blum and team have been really instrumental uh, in uh, gaining the support of the community on the government side. On the industry side, we have, we have uh, uh, lots of people who really care about this because it's critical to their business. Um, so uh, the initial table was really built to help people understand the way that the rules could be uh, used. Uh, to improve speed, uh, which is an interesting concept, right? You think of rules as being in the way. Uh, it's not mutually exclusive. Uh, the rules can be used to improve speed of acquisition. A great example is the IRS with their pilot IRS program. Uh, it's all FAR based uh, using the rules smartly to speed up the process.
1: Yeah, I think that's what's most useful about this, Tim, is that it's all use cases. It's all examples of how this is actually working. It's not theoretical,
3: right? Absolutely. We are on the ground getting it done, and we're finding the people who are being successful and sharing their stories. Tell me about those stories that you're tracking most closely right now. Yeah, so the ones we're working on right now, you know, there's there's been a... a, a a a burst of activity in the uh, the artificial intelligence, RPA, robotic process automation field, um, which has the ability, frankly, to move mountains of administrative work uh, out of the way uh, of contracting professionals so that they can become those strategic advisors uh, that we always uh, wanted them to be. Um, So that's the focus right now. Uh, OFPP had started an initiative um, with uh, with Cortina Smith building on the work of, um, by the way, I have to say this, the original table of uh, the, the Fed 100 awards went out and three of the members of that team uh, were on the award list. And that's Eliana Zavala um, and Trevor Wagner and Gisa Sateri.
1: Uh, the uh, RPA and AI usage, are are you tracking that from the perspective of acquiring that, for use broadly across government at various agencies, are you tracking that for use in the acquisition process itself, or some combination of both, or something else?
3: Yeah, you you hit it. You hit the nail on the head. Uh, this is all driven by use cases. Uh, some original work was done uh, by Cortina Smith uh, at OFPP. Uh, she covered through a survey a couple dozen. Uh, more than 20 use cases that she solicited from across government. Um, And use cases really are the best way to think about this technology. Um, It it is very effective, but it has to be tailored for each use case. So right now we're focused on two use cases uh, in the team that's collecting uh, and adding to the knowledge that we have. The two use cases are um, contractor responsibility, uh, which has a fairly long histories, lots of people are still doing it, Um, and uh, contract closeout, uh, which everybody needs to do and some people have already done. So what about the successes that have happened already can be shared in a way to accelerate uh, the progress?
1: We have about a minute left, Tim. What's the end result that you're going for? What's better when this work is mature?
3: Yeah, so um, th- what's better is that uh, we'll have a new version of the table, uh, the ver- that version of the table, uh, which should be coming out uh, later this year, uh, will include uh, a number of different technology innovations and the technology innovations are brand new to the table. Uh, people can still go to the same table address uh, at uh, FAI.gov, Periodic Table. Uh, and they'll be able to find uh, all of these technology innovations that we've been able to track and describe. One new part about this, I have to just say it for a second: we're including cultural adaptations. So you might think there's resistance to change here, but when the workforce experiences what these uh, tools can do for them, they they wholeheartedly embrace them.
1: Tim Cook, thanks very much. It's great to see you again.
3: It's great to see you. Thank you, Francis.
1: Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, it's at govmatters.tv and you get a preview and a recap of every show when you sign up for our daily newsletters. You just enter your email in the red box on the website. I'm back in two minutes.
4: Thanks
0: for listening. Our daily program is produced by James Mahoney and Drew Friedman. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Beatrice Haddon. Our director of content is Alan Holmes. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.
4: offer various kinds of SD-WAN solutions. There are a number of them out there. They need to not just offer their direct example, examples of uh, proprietary services, but there are multiple platforms. Agencies should really meet with the primes and say, here's what I want. Here's what I want to, here's where I want to go over the next 10 to 15 years.
1: Time is of the essence, it strikes me, Tony, because there's a countdown clock going here for agencies to get these contracts awarded. Um, If you're just starting this process at the beginning, first of all, shame on you, I guess. But um, secondly, what's the role of the vendor to help uh, uh, an agency move the ball?
4: Well, I think I think the idea here is to if you haven't gotten started yet, make sure you're asking the right questions of industry. That you're asking for the right kind of services. If you're still s- stuck on an RFP or a format that asks for older technology, there are and and there are unfortunately, Francis, a number of RFPs and fair opportunities out there that have asked for the old stuff. And it's it's like the the to to some extent, I'm 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 advocating for timeline be damned. You ought to.